the way they've been outscored in the third period uh, is just stark. That'll be a big welcome back to Ross Johnson. Going back to Florida is going to be like, a, you know, an oh whoopee moment. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 174, as I sit in my fine Fort Lauderdale hotel room. Okay, it's not overlooking the beach or it's not anywhere close to the ocean, so don't get too jealous. But uh, in Fort Lauderdale, after an early morning flight from Raleigh, North Carolina, where the Islanders won a crazy one in overtime. And hi, I'm Andrew Gross of Newsday. And in this episode, we'll discuss, or I'll discuss, where this team is right now and why maybe it's really, really hard to tell, despite some uh, negative opinions that it might be easy to tell. I I chatted with two of the team's uh, current six defensemen, Scott Mayfield and newcomer Mike Riley, so you'll hear those interviews, and also I'll answer some of your questions uh, in Andrew's answers. And I'll be honest, I've got a ton of questions, both about the team's future and, and how I'm perceiving that future. And look, my, my first perception, uh, th- this is an easy one. The, the team is clearly struggling with Adam Pellick on long-term injured reserve with an apparent left wrist injury and not eligible to, to play until December 19th, though I think that may be an optimistic uh, timetable for his return. And also Sebastian Ajo, is also on injured reserve. Both were injured in a 5-3 win in Ottawa on November 24th. And since then, Grant Hutton has been recalled from the Islanders' uh, AHL affiliate in Bridgeport. Rookie Samuel Bolduc has gotten his way back into the lineup. Uh, like I said, uh, Mike Riley is a newcomer. He was claimed off waivers from the Panthers, where he had only played two games, and the last one being November 8th, after signing a one-year, $1 million deal, he made his Islanders debut against the Devils. So what you have right now is really four defensemen. Uh, That would be Noah Dobson, Alexander Romanov, uh, Ryan Pulak, and Scott Mayfield logging uh, heavy minutes. uh, against the Hurricanes, Coach Lane Lambert put Alexander Romanov and Noah Dobson back together. That was a, a pair uh, for the early part of last season. Uh, they were back together against the Hurricanes. They, they looked better against the Hurricanes than they did uh, in their stint together uh, last season uh, when they were kind of a mess defensively. I, I think that speaks to some of the strides that the two young defensemen have taken uh, this season. You know, you're never going to cut down all the mistakes. So this is a blanket statement. And I know some of you will go, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? I, I'm saying in general, uh, you know, they've cut down on some of their turnovers and they've improved their play in the defensive zone. Um, and they they were not the defensive liability against the Hurricanes that they were at times uh, the previous season, again, a blanket statement. I'm not say, saying every single shift was 
was a clean one. But w- without Pellick in the lineup and also Aho, how sustainable is it for really to be relying heavily on the four? Mike Riley is playing some, you know, he he had about, uh, he played 13 minutes uh, against the Hurricanes as he works himself into a rhythm in the Islanders lineup. But really, uh I don't know how sustainable it is to to really feel like you can rely heavily on four defensemen, but try and rotate through six. Um, But you know what? And I I, I was also thinking about this this morning. Maybe uh, a natural reaction when you cover a team, meaning, you know, I I try to be as there for as many as the 82 games as, as I can, during the season, uh, right now, uh, if everything goes well, I'm going to hit 81 of 82 games. I know there's just one game up in Winnipeg that it looks like I'm not going to be able to get to. Uh, and, and that's not on me. That's on uh, airline schedules. Um, but the point is, I am up close and, and, and around this team on a constant basis. And maybe... Uh, when, when you get too close to a subject, uh, you, you start to pick it apart. You know, I, I'm paid to analyze what I see from the Islanders. So in some natural way, I am looking for flaws. I, I, I think that's some part of objective reporting, right? Um, but I, I was somewhat taken aback this morning. I was reading the Associated Press's account of... Uh, uh, the game in Carolina. Again, that was a, a 5-4 Islanders win in overtime. Uh, kind of a, a, a crazy game that we'll get into a little bit more. But, you know, it, you know what happened, which was the Hurricanes tied it up with 2.5 seconds uh, left in the third period. Uh, Sebastian Ajo, the healthy one who plays for the Hurricanes, uh, kind of got to a puck at the crease uh, as the Hurricanes buzzed. And uh, they had also uh, scored 39 seconds into the third period to tie the game uh, up as well at three. So uh, it was another somewhat rocky third period uh, for the Islanders. Um, But I, I was taken aback, like I said, when I read the Associated Press's account of the game, uh, which had way up high that the Islanders had won four of six. Um, and, and let's face it, if the Islanders win four of six the rest of the season, they're going to make the playoffs. And, and, and the fact that the Islanders did, have won four of six, and that's four, one, and one, so regulation loss and a, uh, you know, a past uh, regulation loss, uh, that did not appear in my account of the game because, and, and, and I'm fully honing up to this here, it just didn't seem to me like the Islanders had won four and six. But they, they, they're on this four one and one spurt heading into the conclusion of this three-game road trip on Saturday against the Panthers. Um, including the six games uh, it was a, a one nothing shootout loss to the Flyers, which in my opinion, you know, to me that's just a 0-0 tie. And then you get this, you know, Fakakta skills competition at the end to determine a, a, another point. And I could go on and on, and I think I have in the past, about how much I, I just dislike the shootout and uh, ending games 
differently than the way you play them. And, you know, some of that has to do with three-on-three overtime as well. But anyway, um, so, you know, you get the 0-0 tie in the sixth game. They could have won against the Devils, but honestly, really shot themselves in their collective feet, you know, uh, in third period. Matt Barzell is in the box. Simon Holmstrom takes a tripping penalty against Jack Hughes. Uh, Curtis Lazar uh, scores the winner uh, with basically 23 seconds to go. I think it was 22.1 seconds finally when everything got sorted out. The the Islanders give up another three goals in the third period and in in their third period woes. You know, the the way they've been outscored in the third period uh, is just stark. This season, I think it's thirty to fourteen at this point. Um, but the, 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 the there were obviously some positives with Matthew Barzell uh, getting the puck back for a one timer uh, to to win the game in Carolina. That was their first win in the three on three overtime period. They're now one and four uh, in that five minute period. Um, they only have two regulation wins since November 2nd, and uh, you you talk about them winning four of six. I I know the NHL is tight. I know it's all about parity, but two regulation wins since November 2nd is, uh, that's that's troubling to say the least. Uh, The Hurricanes, if you include shots on net, uh, blocked shots or attempts that are blocked and missed shots, uh, the Hurricanes had 96 Attempted shots uh, to the Islanders, 39. The, the Islanders were outshot 15-3 to in the second period. They were outshot 15-4 to uh, in the third period. That, that kind of happens a lot when you play the Hurricanes. The Hurricanes just take shots from every angle, from all over the offensive zone, and sometimes even the neutral zone. So it, it, it's often that the Hurricanes are well ahead of uh, their opponent in attempts. But uh, in this case, it really did tell a story where the Islanders were repeatedly hemmed into their own zone um, and, and just for many stretches did not match the Hurricanes' speed. Um, you know, that's hockey, Susan. They they, they came out with the two points. Uh, uh, you, you hate these three-point games because the Hurricanes are going to be one of the teams that the Islanders... Uh, you know, the Hurricanes are probably going to take one of the Metropolitan Division's playoff spots, and uh, they get a point out of this, too. Um, so uh, some some knowledge here, and this comes from the great Eric Hornick, the Islanders' team statistician. The Islanders have now allowed 10 tying goals in the third period, and that's in 22 games. And uh, uh, last season, they allowed just eight. In 82 games. So I, I think that does illustrate the issues the Islanders are, are having in the third period, whether it's a, a confidence issue, an aggressiveness issue, uh, or just an ability to establish a forecheck because you're, you're playing in your own zone too much. I think that all goes into it. Uh, Coach Lane Lambert said for the most part, he thought the Islanders were pretty good in the third period last night, and still uh, they, they gave up two goals. Now, Kyle Palmieri gets a huge, huge power play goal that regained a 4-3 uh, 
lead for the Islanders in the third period. And if there are two things I really like uh, beyond how well Semyon Varlamov played in the game. Um, one was in the past we've seen the Islanders give up these third period goals. I mean, in the past, you know, just a couple of nights before, uh, the Devils rampaged them for three goals in the third period and there was no real pushback against that. Um, the, the Islanders sort of looked defeated uh, in that third period. But uh, against the Hurricanes, uh, they, they scored 39 seconds into the third period. Uh, Jack Drury um, nets one, and the Islanders didn't give up the lead there. Uh, they never gave up the lead. Um, so, you know, that's uh, that, that was a good sign. And also for them to kind of, pick themselves up and win in overtime after the disappointment, uh, you know, just how awful it was for the team to give up the equalizer, even if the Hurricanes are skating six on five. And there was only 2.5 seconds left on the clock. You, you think there that you're going to win, right? Um, but not to be in regulation. Um, the Devils game... Uh, marked the ninth time the Islanders have either given up uh, the winning goal in the third period or allowed an equalizing goal and then gone on to lose in overtime. So just, you know, just real negative stats there. So maybe this is a good time to bring in Scott Mayfield. And uh, our discussion ranged from how Coach Lane Lambert addresses accountability issues, namely the Islanders taking bad and ill-timed penalties. And this came up because uh, after, in the Devils game, as I mentioned, Simon Holmstrom tripped uh, Jack Hughes. And, you know, he stuck his stick out. Um, it, it didn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't a full-out, you know, yank him down trip, but... Holmstrom put his stick in a spot where the refs are going to call that more often than not. Whether or not, you know, his stick actually did cause Jack Hughes to fall to the ice. Um, Holmstrom was careless with his stick placement. Um, He is guilty of that. And after the game, Lane Lambert again went on this, we can't have that, this can't happen, cannot happen. And Lane has said that way too much uh, this season, and uh, spoiler alert, um, the Islanders Sunday Insider will be returning uh, this week, and I will be addressing that subject, you know, just how Lane Lambert is trying to get some accountability uh, when he makes these it-can't-happen statements, and that'll be on uh, newsday.com backslash aisles. Um, so again, we talked to Mayfield about that, and we also... I also talked to Mayfield about how he sees the, the, the arc of this team right now. And I, I, I always like chatting with Scott. He, he can accentuate the positive just like most players can, but he often doesn't sugarcoat the bad. And uh, just a heads up, you'll hear we did this interview. I was chatting with Scott Mayfield in the visitor's dressing room in Carolina. And that's one of the smallest visiting dressing rooms in the league. So there's plenty of surrounding noise. I think there's even, you'll, you'll, the, the interview that was being conducted uh, with Ryan Pulak, who was in an adjoining locker stall, uh, he was being interviewed at the same time by some other media folks. So I think that bleeds into the audio of me chatting 
with Scott Mayfield. But he, here is that chat with Scott Mayfield. He's been talking about, you know, we gotta, we can't keep making these mm-hmm. infractions. Yeah. And it just can't happen. How is that reinforced? Well, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is we all got to this level somehow, and I think we know the right way to play. Right. Um, you know, mistakes are going to happen. That's just the nature of the game. But when it's consistently happening, you got to make sure you bear down and figure that out pretty quick. Because um, if you keep making those mistakes, teams capitalize. Um, so it's, uh, you know, whether it's penalties or, you know, the third period hasn't been our period, it's little stuff like that that you know, just got to get better at. Different coaches handle it. it goes, I mean, each coach is different. Or is it, like you say, it's not so much what the coach does. It's how the player I, I'm a big believer and it's on the player. Yeah. Um, you know, I love the coaches, but uh, we're the ones out there playing the game. So it's uh, for me, it's it's on every guy in here. It's on us as a team collectively. Um, you know, the coaches can only do so much. It's uh, it's us going out there and playing. So uh, I'm a big believer in that. You know, even when you're playing well, playing bad, doesn't matter. It's uh, you know, it's the 23 guys in the locker room. And uh, the 20 guys in that night, and, and for me, that's what it's about. In general, there, there does seem to be yeah, an upwards trajectory with the team's play. I'm wondering if you're saying that. I mean, I think so. If you look at, I mean, you look at these games like we're in every game. Yeah. You know, I see stats about, you know, how we're uh, not trailing in games very much, and. You know, there's stats on that. There's, you know, all, like, the, the stuff behind that. But, yeah, we're, we're in these games. It's about finishing. It's about staying confident throughout the 60 minutes. It's about keeping that poise. It's about being aggressive. You know, there's a bunch of stuff. in each night, as much as, yeah, there have been some penalties. You know, PK hasn't shown up a couple of times. There's some, there's some, I don't want to call them trends, but there's some little things that, you know, you have seen a couple of different times. But, you know, it's, uh... It seems like there's just a couple of things that just aren't going right now. So, you know, you look at collecting points, and I think we did a good job of that before uh, before two nights ago. And, um, yeah, I, I would say you can look at it as an upward trend, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, you collect points, whether it's, you know, I think we won a couple of those overtimes back, shootouts back, but that's a, it's a point that it's a point in the bank, and that's what we're trying to do. When do you, I personally, when do you start looking at standings and seeing where everything's shaking out? Day one. Yeah. I mean, for me, for me, it's all about it's all about two points every night. I don't care if it's start of the year, end of the year. It doesn't matter what when it is. It's two points each night, and you know, you you have a, we play every other night pretty much, and. You know, you either got two points, and then you go look and see what teams got them or lost them. So, it's uh, for me. I look, I look at scores every night. I look at highlights every night, and kind of go from there. Hey, just uh, yeah, maybe I'm reaching here, but you get like you mentioned, you're you're in every game, which means that like every game is it seems like a one goal game. I know up in the press box, it seems like third period. I don't know which way I'm writing. You know, with five minutes left in the game. Yeah. <laughs> is there? You're very comfortable in those situations. Is the opposite possibly true, where you're not tech, not always comfortable with a multi-goal lead? We have been comfortable in the past. Yeah. Um, you know, I think right now we got to get back to that. We got to find that in our game because that's so that's so key to be able to do to close games out. Um, yeah. You know, you got to be able to do that. Whether it's sorry the season and then even more important playoffs. You know? yeah. 
when you're up by a goal in playoffs, you need to get that win. So it's, uh, yeah, that's something we need to find again, I think. And I think that's been obviously one of the big issues is when you look at that stat about us trailing in games, it's not it's not a long time. It's not, on average, it's not a long time. We we're playing with leads, we're playing even, and we gotta, we got to really figure out the way to close it out. Now, after Saturday's match against the Panthers in Sunrise, Florida, the Islanders re- return home for a season-high six-game homestand. Uh, the positive there being it, it gets them on a very regular routine, which uh, all pro athletes just absolutely crave. It's a, it's a new game every other day for 12 days. There is exactly one day in between each game over the uh, six-game homestand. So that should get the Islanders into a good rhythm, but I'm also of the belief that that six straight games at home is just too much. Uh, Teams tend to get stale um, when they're in one spot for too long, be it on the road or at home. Um, it, It will... As nothing is easy in the NHL, it should be a challenging homestand. The Islanders will see all three California teams. That's the Sharks, the Kings, and the Ducks. And uh, that'll be a big welcome back to Ross Johnson. Um, They also face the the Blue Jackets and uh, Bruins and Maple Leafs. And that's a big welcome back. Uh, Well, never mind there. Um, At the end of the homestand, uh, the Islanders will have played 17 of their 29 games uh, into the season at home. Now, Sebastian Ajo, the Islanders' Sebastian Ajo, the defenseman, is expected to return sooner than Pellick. There's no timetable on either, either yet. Um, but if Ajo is able to get back uh, a little bit before maybe, say, December 19th, that will help a little bit. Um, the, the, the injuries, the twin injuries to uh, Pelican Ajo have shown that the Islanders organizationally are, are, are thin on the blue line. Um, and also, uh, lest we forget, Matt Martin was also on the injured reserve. He had an upper body injury as well for five games. He was activated before the Devils game. Um, but he did not play that night. He was not in the lineup against the Hurricanes. Julian Gauthier uh, is finally getting some consecutive games in uh, as we speak after the Hurricanes game. Gauthier has played three straight, um, but he's only played five overall the whole season. Um, I I, I wrote this, but I, I don't think it's a gimme. Matt Martin goes right back into the lineup as soon as he's 100%, and Martin, when I spoke to him in Carolina, said he wasn't quite at 100% yet, still some soreness. Uh, Lane Lambert explained that Matt Martin was activated for the Devils game uh, in case either Cal Clutterbuck or Simon Holmstrom uh, became unavailable. Both had missed the previous day's practice because of illness. They were both able to play that day, so... uh, uh, Matt Martin still recovering from the upper body injury. Uh, Gauthier does bring a little bit more speed to that line. I mean, that much is obvious. Um, it has helped that line even incrementally on the forecheck. Uh, you couldn't really tell that against the Hurricanes since the Islanders uh, spent so much time hemmed into their own end. But by the way, really, how strange a season is this? For the Islanders, uh, 
that they were thoroughly outplayed, uh, particularly in the, in the second period by the Hurricanes. They were limited to just three shots. Uh, yet two of them went in uh, against Pyotr Kochekov. Um, that included Simon Holmstrom's third shorthanded goal of the season. He's got six total, so 50% have come shorthanded. Um, that came on the Islanders' first shot of the period at 1559. Uh, the Islanders wound up with two shots on that, sh- on that penalty kill. So they only had one five on five shot the whole period, and that Pierre Engvall converted that at 1803. Um, on the Islanders' only five-on-five shot of the period. And if you remember, um, this is sort of like the the second Islanders' period that's really gone to that extreme already this season. Uh, they had that 3 nothing win uh, in Washington on November 2nd against the Capitals. Um, in, in the first period, uh, again, uh, you know, dominant by the Capitals, the, the, the Islanders were limited to two shots, and they scored on both against Darcy Kemper. So the Islanders seemingly do have one very specific skill, uh, and it's with that kind of period shooting percentages. You can call it, uh, uh, they get badly outplayed in the period, but still outscore the opponent on limited shots skill, maybe. Um, and, and speaking of specialized skills, how about Simon Holmstrom? I, I asked him after the Hurricanes game if he should now just be considered a, a penalty kill weapon. Uh, three shorthanded goals uh, so far. Um, neither him nor Oliver Wallstrom, who were the wings on Jean Gabriel Pajot's third line, uh, played much uh, five on five in that game and and. Is is there any wonder why J.J. Pajot is struggling along with just one goal, which he finally got against the Devils? There's really been very little continuity. Um, I know he had a seven-game stretch where it was he was between Wallstrom and Anders Lee. Uh, Anders Lee has spent the previous two games back up on Bo Horvat's top line. And by the way, congrats to Anders Lee for uh, hitting game number seven hundred uh, against the. Uh, the Hurricanes, um, but again, this this all speaks to, uh, and if I mentioned Pajot got his first goal against the Devils, but I, I think this also speaks a little bit to some thinness in the Islanders' organizational depth at forward as well. You know, it, it really seems like the Islanders have a ton of bottom six forwards, uh, even maybe a couple who have been playing in the top six, but there's a lack of consistency in many of them, and, and that includes Simon Holmstrom and Oliver Wallstrom, and, and Wally particularly. I mean, Simon Holm, they're, they're both first-round picks, right? But Wallstrom came in, you know, with this reputation as a sharpshooter, and he was really supposed to be much further along right now in his ability to produce offense consistently. Um, Simon Holmstrom... Uh, I don't think was ever projected. He he always talks about the offense that he knows he has in his game somewhere that he needs to show more. But I, I think uh, Simon Holmstrom kind of settling into a, a third-line role is probably meeting some of the projections of what 
you know, outsiders thought where he might be in his NHL career. Um, I also had this thought, too, about organizational depth uh, as I was watching both, you know, Semyon Varlamov play so well against the Hurricanes. He finished with uh, 39 saves. He always seems to uh, befuddle the Hurricanes in one way or another. Even watching Ilya Sorokin, uh, against the double Devils, you know, he gave up another five goals in that hard luck loss. Um, it's, uh, let's see, it's uh, the third time this season Sorokin has given up five goals, and uh, there have also been five games where he's allowed four goals. Um, so his numbers are uncharacteristically higher uh, than they have been, and uh, yet I, I don't necessarily think he's playing badly. Um, he's not playing, you know, finished second in the Vesna Trophy balloting uh, right now. Uh, you know, you look at his advanced metrics and analytics, and uh, uh, he's not quite doing as well as last season. But still, I mean, he is making some really good saves, but the numbers are piling up against him. But, you know, as well as Sorokin is playing despite the numbers, as well as Varlamov is playing... Um, And he's earned, I think, more playing time uh, than maybe was projected at the start of the season. The Islanders are absolutely screwed if either one of them gets hurt at any point. Uh, Jakub Shkarek would likely be the uh, call-up from Bridgeport, but, uh, you know, conservatively, he may still be another season or two away from even being ready to play in the NHL on a limited basis. So... Um, and meanwhile, a, a, another thought, and this one more of a positive one, and one I've mentioned before, uh, Pellick and Ajo's injuries have highlighted how absolutely invaluable Noah Dobson has become to this team. He is far and away their best defenseman. He should be an all-star, perhaps along with Matthew Barcel. Maybe he should even get a few scattered votes for the Norris Trophy, especially since voters uh, have to list their top five on their ballot. So uh, I would think he would get into the top five on, uh, on you know, a handful of voters' ballots. Um, Dobson logged 27.04 of ice time against the Hurricanes. He's quarterbacking uh, the first power play unit. He's also seeing some shorthanded time. Uh, in the game where Pellick and Ajo got hurt in Ottawa, he played a career high 31.05. Um, and then the next night, it's a back to back. The Islanders come home for that 1 0 shootout loss to the visiting Flyers. Dobson lobs 28.41 uh, there. So he played 60 minutes essentially in back to back games. Um, uh, he played a measly, and I'm putting that in you know, air quotes, 25-38 against the Devils. Uh, Dobson's power play distribution has gone to the next level. He's not making as many turnovers and trying to escape the defensive zone. He's become stouter uh, defensively. And again, refer to what I said earlier in this episode. You know, these are blanket statements. I know every player makes their mistakes. You know, usually there you can go through anyone's game and, and point out the mistakes. So blanket statements. Um Speaking of defensemen, Mike Riley has had an interesting season, though probably not the way he would have planned it out. He signed as a free agent with the Panthers 
Again, one year, one million after two plus seasons with the Bruins. That included a hard fought playoff series in 21 against the Islanders. The Islanders won in six games as they went on to the uh, face the eventual cup champion Lightning in the NHL Final Four. Um, President GM Lou Lamorello specifically mentioned Riley uh, as in that series. It caught his eye a little bit. They were familiar with him from that playoff series. Yet he couldn't crack the Panthers' top six, uh, even despite some injuries uh, the Panthers had on the on on the back line. And uh, his first couple of games with the Islanders sort of showed both the good and the bad. He does have really good puck moving skills. He can quarterback uh, power play units. Skates really nicely. Um, he did have a, a bad turnover that led to the Devils' first goal. He sort of skated himself into trouble in the neutral zone. The Islanders were in the middle of a change. He basically had nowhere to go with the puck, and it wound up going back up ice. Um, defensively, he, he's had some lapses in the first two games. Otherwise, uh, players getting around him. Um, he shows an aggressiveness in the offensive zone. Uh, he likes to get down low a little bit. Um, and, and again, I, I chatted with him in the noisy visitor's room in Carolina. And darn it, I, I forgot to ask him about going back to Florida. But, you know, for as little as he played with that organization. And look, he, he's a guy that has bounced around. He's played with the Canadians, the Bruins, the Wild, the Senators as well. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure him going back to Florida is going to be like, a, you know, an oh whoopee moment for him. But uh, anyway, here's uh, what Mike Riley and I discussed. You've done this, you know, next was it four previous oh, times in your career. No, no, next Friday. What is the trick to acclimating not, to a new no, team? No. And, you know, I know you want to come in here yeah. and earn everyone's respect. Pretty quickly. How many, two people? Yeah, just, uh, you know, I think it's just kind of coming in and trust my abilities. And, um, you know, if there's different different systems from, from before, but, you know, I think for me, the biggest thing they kind of told me is uh, just uh, kind of go out there and play. And, um, you know, we'll, you know, situate everything with the systems and, uh, and that. So try not to overthink too much. And um, so I think kind of over time here, it'll be. Kind of just more free flowing a little bit and kind of more natural a little bit. When you when you found out the Islanders were claiming, did you like your skills, you know, puck moving? Did you see like a, a quick fit? You know, did, did did the move make sense? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was. Uh, I was really excited. I think it was a uh, you know really good opportunity and um, you know I think something that I can um, kind of bring to the table a little bit and you know I've, I've over the years I've just been keeping on working on uh you know rounding out the game and you know that's obviously something that I've always kind of had and you know can bring and um but yeah I think it's uh I think I think it could be a good fit I'm excited and um as I said before there's I'm familiar with a couple guys here and, yeah. which is always nice to kind of come in and you know you feel pretty maybe more comfortable right off the hop you know, maybe then otherwise. So it's been, uh, the guys have been great, the trainers and everything. It just, uh, not to bring up, you know, something bad, but when a situation happens, like in the Devils game, right, and I know, I think he got sort of caught in a bad change there too, but, and it goes the other way, 
when you're with a new team, like what, what's your instant reaction? And were you wondering like what the coaching staff might say at that point? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's you know, this play can't happen. Um, obviously, just was trying to get the puck in. Obviously, yeah. it wasn't trying to do anything cute or kind of get around a guy, but you know, probably probably situation probably could have stayed on my forehand there, and um, you know, obviously ended up in the back of the net. But you know, I don't think it you know really uh, phased me. You know, the rest of the game a little bit. You obviously, got to do your best to try to just drop it and move on. And you know, there's going to be there's going to be mistakes. There's different types of mistakes, and um, you know, that was just off uh, trying to just dump the puck in and you yeah. know, change himself. Um, yeah. yeah, obviously, can't be done. But um, yeah, the guys were good, kind of picked me up a little bit, like hey, it's no mistake. And um, I think it was maybe my third, fourth shift of the game, and been off for a couple of weeks so yeah I think yeah. Just, the, just the timing and everything will right. kind of slowly come together here which, which I'm excited about you know I mean I know you haven't had a huge say in this but you know some guys spend their whole lives their whole careers with one team other guys you know get to play for a lot of different organizations do you what are the positives to you of you know seeing different organizations and, and getting to be around the league you know yeah yeah I mean um you know, just just based off what happened last year, it was wasn't gonna. You know, the time in Boston was kind of yeah. it came to an end, and and you know I could sense that even from uh-huh. last year when a lot of stuff went down and stuff, and kind of was a situation I thought could kind of work a little bit, and um, but then um, you know kind of unfortunate, but yeah, it's it's you know you're kind of just you know not just only surviving, but you know I think last year kind of set me back pretty good little bit just based off of kind of what happened but you know I still believe in myself and you know the couple of years leading up to that I was finding this you know finding my groove a little bit and and then uh, there's some numbers issues and some cap issues and mm-hmm. things like that and and uh, you know I was the one casualty so um, but yeah I'm kind of looking onward and up here and I think I can you know hope that I can make this work. So thanks to Mike Riley, also Scott Mayfield for their time and thoughts. And now let's see what's on your mind. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. First of, first off, I will say I will take the L here. But when I sent out the tweet after the Hurricanes game, uh, the, the, the 5-4 overtime win, Trying to solicit some questions for Andrew's answers, I, I guess I mistakenly started with the how are you feeling intro. So as a result, most of the replies I got went something like this, even after the OT win, miserable, the team sucks, fire everyone. Okay, uh, you know, so that's bad on me, I should have worded that. I was actually looking for some uh, real questions, but I will go through the ones that did come up and try and give you some reasonable answers. Um, Let's see. Um, Matt Ostrowitz says, any idea how long uh, the Islanders will be without Adam Pellick? Uh, Mike Riley is a nice fill-in, but doesn't fill the gaping hole Pellick has left behind. Is the loss short-term enough that we're just going to try to get by leaning on uh, Pulak and Dobson and Mayfield and Romanov to play huge minutes? Or will they try to bring somebody um, else in? And uh, look, I, I, I think 
Lou Lamarillo, he obviously claimed Mike Riley. Uh, that's sort of bringing uh, someone in. Uh, Zadorov just got traded the other day. Uh, the Flames, uh, you know, acquiesced to his trade demand. And uh, he goes for a third rounder and a fifth rounder to the uh, Vancouver Canucks. Ironically, the fifth rounder was the pick uh, the Canucks had just gotten a few days earlier from Chicago for our old friend Anthony Beauvillier, who is now with another new team. But um, anyway, so back to Matt's question, how long will the Islanders be without Pellick? Look, I, I, as I said, I think December 19th is a optimistic timeline. Again, they're just calling it an upper body injury. It looked like uh, Adam Pellick... Uh, you know, had a wrap around his left wrist. Um, let's say he broke that left wrist or, you know, there's a, you know, some damage to that left wrist. Uh, again, not a doctor. I would think that's probably a six to eight week thing uh, around there. So I, I'm not sure about uh, December 19th. He is on long-term injured reserve. So, uh, will they go out and try and bring somebody in? I, I think Lou's going to have to, uh, I, I don't know whether playing either Grant Hutton or Samuel Bolduc on a consistent basis is going to be good enough at, at this moment for the Islanders. And, you know, Lou's might have to consider something. Um, Gabagool says, how can we fix the penalty kill? And, you know, and look, they uh, they killed off the Hurricanes' three power plays. The Hurricanes don't have a great power play uh, for some of their talented players. Um, actually, they're, they're ranked 13th in the league. So they have a, a representable power play. The Islanders killed off three power play chances. When the Islanders are, are aggressive and able to... Uh, you know, get out on the shooters, block some shooting lanes, and then clear the uh, crease. They're okay on the penalty kill. Too often, though, they get kind of caught allowing that backdoor goal. Um, you know, the, someone breaks free in the five on four and finds that little open spot. And uh, that's how to fix the penalty kill is to just take away those backdoor uh, goals that have hurt the Islanders so much. Uh, Thomas Boyle says, do you see a trade happening before Monday? Monday, pretty specific, um, with with uh, the Flames trading their defenseman, who was kind of the prominent defenseman on the trade market. Uh, perhaps Monday is a little bit too soon. I also think... Uh, you know, Lou is, uh, as always, traveling with this with the team on this trip, so he's seeing firsthand the same things I'm seeing, you know, defensively. Um, he will not tell anyone what his assessment is, but it, it would not shock me if he comes to the conclusion that the Islanders need more help defensively. I think Monday might be a little bit soon to swing a deal. Um, Captain Mike Steady, a uh, slew of questions here. How does Lou have a job? Why do the Islanders have zero stars in the system? Why are they so slow? Why so many bad contracts? When will this organization get it right? They had an amazing coach, meaning Barry Trotz, and blew it all. Um, 
look, Lou has a job because ownership clearly still believes in him. Uh, you know, specifically Scott Malkin, who's going to make the final call. Uh, they have zero stars in the system because Lou has traded away four consecutive first-round picks. So uh, you have a hole in the organization for sure. Why are they so slow? They're, they're aging. Uh, a lot of their players are on the other side of 30. Um, you still have some decent skaters on the team. Uh, you know, Marth, Matthew Barzell can be a burner. Uh, Gauthier can, can skate pretty fast. Dobson's a decent skater. Um, but in general, they don't have blazing speed. They have to win other ways. And then when you get a, you play teams like the Devils and the Hurricanes who do play faster games, it, it just shows. And why so many bad contracts? Uh, look, Lou handed out seven-year deals to both Scott Mayfield and Pierre Engvall specifically to keep the, uh, the, the cap figure down. But I, I think those are going to prove to be, you know, contracts that were too long. Um, you know, Anders Lee's got a couple of more years on his deal. Uh, uh, they have, you know, uh, Matthew Barcel, Bo Horvat, in the first year of eight-year deals. Lou has certainly tied them into specific players for the long term. Um, let's see... Uh, um, just looking for uh, questions here. Oh, here, here's a good one. Brustus Roasting says, where is the Islanders hitting gone? They don't really hit at all. This is the team that used to hit everything that moved. And uh, look, they still can be physical, but I agree. And without, you know, a ton of stats in front of me, this is just the eye test. Uh, yeah, uh, they're, they're not as physical as they used to be. I think a lot of it is... They don't establish their forecheck as much as they used to. They, they, they play more in their defensive zone. Um, and, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, fast teams are hard to line up. So, uh, you know, Cal Clutterbuck still gets his licks in. Um, but, you know, Matt Martin's been out of the lineup a little bit, and he's second all-time in the NHL in hits. Um and, and again, this is what I'm saying. Justin Rubin goes, how does Lane still have a job? And, and, and you know, it's that thing. We're too close to this. They've won four of six. And this was after that seven-game losing streak, 0-4-3, where there was some speculation uh, that Lou was possibly ready to make a move behind uh, the bench. Um, and, you know, more than spec, I guess it's, you have to consider it speculation because unless it comes from Lou's mouth directly, it's not a fact. Um, I will, I will grant that, but you know, I, I was, you know, my antenna picked up, you know, people chattering around the league. Let's put it that way. And I think it was more real than Lou was, will, will ever admit. Um, but again, they've, won four of their last six, and the players always praise Lane's ability to keep the team together. So, uh, And Lou, when, when asked about it, says he still sees the same things in Lane Lambert that he saw when he hired him. So uh, DG says, does Pierre Engvall, Islander through 2030, know who Anders Kalor is? And uh, it, it, it's part of a, a more interesting question, which is how much Islander's history do these players know? And, you know, I, I will say the guys who have been here for a, a long time, guys like Cal, 
Clutterbuck and Casey Sezikis, Brock Nelson, Anders Lee for sure, even, you know, Matthew Barzell, Ryan Pulak, Adam Pellick. The 80s guys are around this team a lot, um, and, and the players get to meet them. So, look, the Islanders sell their history really, really well. I heard someone say, like, every Islander home game is an advertisement for their four Stanley Cups from 80 to 83. So you, you almost uh, you can't get away from it if you're one of the current players. Now, like, you know, does a, a 23-year-old from Russia like Alexander Romanov, you know, does he remember some of the guys who played in the 90s or even the early 2000s, either before he was born or when he was a little kid? I, I'm sure, you know, quiz a guy like that, he might not be able to go, you know, verse in all the stories, you know, uh, down the line, you know, what Darius Kasparitis meant to the team, that kind of stuff. But the the core guys for sure have become friendly with the, you know, the guys like John Tonelli and, you know, when he was alive, Clark Gillies certainly was around a lot. Um, Okay, Frankie Palmer says, why are the Islanders the only team in the NHL that won't put their best player on the ice with an empty net? I know Matthew Barzell may be a defensive liability, but he is one of the fastest players in the league, and he can't do any worse. We never score empty net goals. He has won in seven years, and I'm laughing because every time the Islanders uh, pull their goalie, I get a text from my younger daughter who, who watches most games at home if she's not in the arena <laughs> going, this is not going to work. This never works. So, you know what? I would, I, I don't think you're making an incorrect point, Frankie Palma. You, 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 you might as well try and get them on the ice. But it, it, a lot of it is uh, you want players out there who are, are going to be a little defensively stouter. Um, and I'm sure that's what it sta- uh, stems from. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, 26 Beach 26 says, do you think the Islanders will make a deal soon versus waiting until the trade deadline? And do you think Lou is searching for a D-man or a scorer? Honestly, I, I think the team needs both. Um, defense may be more of a priority once you get a better idea of how long Adam Bellick is going to be home, uh, be be out of the lineup, and uh, I, I don't think they can wait until the trade deadline. I honestly don't. And Lou has shown in the past that he can be proactive with the trades. Just go back to last season. Uh, he acquired Bo Horvat on... Uh, on January 30th, and even before that, the year uh, Pellick was out, he went out and got uh, Andy Green. Um, so, thank you for listening. If uh, All Islanders content can be found at newsday.com backslash aisles. And until the next episode, happy hockey, everybody.